So like I said, uh, this semester we're going to be looking at what Christians call the Old Testament. Uh, The Old Testament is the majority of the Bible. Uh, If you ever have looked at your Bible and you kind of put your hand at the beginning and then right after Malachi, the end of the Old Testament, uh, you will see that it is the vast majority of what Christians call the Bible. Um, And so we're going to be looking at it in a series called Every Story Whispers His Name, His Being Jesus. That's going to be kind of our main theme the whole time. So in a time like now, I think the question needs to be asked, why talk about the Old Testament? If you've ever read the Old Testament, a lot of times it feels really weird. It feels really distant from our current day and age. Why talk about the Old Testament? Um, There's a show that uh, I really like. I know some of you actually really like. It's from the early 2000s. You might not have seen it. Uh, A show called The West Wing. Anybody? Yeah. Yeah? Okay, so there's an episode in season two, episode three. The president, his name's Josiah Bartlett. Uh, he's entertaining a group of radio hosts in the White House. Uh, that's how you can tell it's early 2000s. It's radio hosts. And he has this group of people, and he's just kind of like giving his spiel, uh, talking about how, you know, the radio waves are super important for America, and it's how ideas are kind of disseminated and all that stuff. And then out of the corner of his eye, he catches a woman uh, named Dr. Jenna Jacobs. And Dr. Jacobs is kind of like a, a far-right conservative talk show host and she espouses these super kind of extreme conservative views and she uses the bible to justify all of them and president bartlett is also a christian but he's a democrat Uh, and so you see this kind of conflict between them starting to build up Uh, and so he's going on with the spiel and then finally he just stops and addresses uh, dr jacobs directly and this is what he says to her He says, uh, Dr. Jacobs, I'm interested in selling my youngest daughter into slavery, as sanctioned in Exodus 21.7. She's a Georgetown sophomore, speaks fluent Italian, always cleaned the table when it was her turn. What would a good price for her be? And then before she can answer, he says, my chief of staff, Leo McGarry, insists on working on the Sabbath. Exodus 35.2 clearly says he should be put to death. Am I morally obligated to kill him myself, or is it okay to call the police and ask them to do it? And then he keeps going, here's one that's really important because we've got a lot of sports fans in this town. Touching the skin of a dead pig makes one unclean. Leviticus 11.7 says if they promise... Leviticus 11.7. It says if they promise to wear gloves, can the Washington Redskins still play football? Can Notre Dame? Can West Point? And then he goes on, does the whole town really have to be together to stone my brother John for planting different crops side by side? Can I burn my mother-in-law in a small family gathering for wearing garments made from two different threads? And then he looks at her and just says, think about those questions, would you? So what Bartlett has done here is all of these are references from the Old Testament. Uh, And maybe you've seen, you might not have seen the show, but certainly you've seen memes on the internet with all sorts of verses from the Old Testament. A personal favorite of mine, uh, it's a a a family together, they're praying before their meal, and it says, uh, dear Jesus, thank you for this pork that you commanded us not to eat. Right? You see this stuff everywhere. So the question is, like, what do we do with that? When we open the Old Testament scriptures, there are laws that seem nonsensical, sometimes misogynistic. There's stuff that seems racist. There's stuff that's harmful. There are stories of alarming and traumatic events. And there are many things that are hard for us to understand. So what I want to submit to you this semester... Uh, If you stick with us, what I want to get at every week 
is this. The Old Testament, properly understood, shows us the heart of Jesus and gives us wisdom for navigating the modern world. So the Old Testament shows us the heart of Jesus and gives us wisdom for navigating the modern world. So to kind of kick this story or this series off, I want to start actually in the New Testament, which is not the Old Testament. I realize that, but we're going to start there. And the reason we're going to start there is because in this passage in Luke 24, Jesus himself addresses the Old Testament. In this story, Jesus and two of his disciples are walking along a dusty road in Palestine, and Jesus opens up the Bible to them and shows them what they should do with it. So as we look at this passage, we're just going to consider three things. Uh, First, where we are with the Old Testament. Where we are with the Old Testament. Second, where Jesus is with the Old Testament. And third, where we can end up with the Old Testament. So where we are, where Jesus is, and where we can end up with the Old Testament. Uh, With that in mind, let me pray for us, and we can get started. Our Father, we do thank you uh, so much for the opportunity to be together um, and to hear from you. Um, Lord, that's what it is anytime uh, we open up your word. Um, Lord, we, we are... Um, humbled in your presence, and we desire to hear from you. So, Lord, I pray um, that you would open our eyes and that you would help us to see you as you are. Uh, Lord, help us to, um, yeah, see Jesus more clearly. All these things I ask in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so first off, where we are with the Old Testament, where we are with the Old Testament. Uh, This story picks up on the very first Easter Sunday. The very first one. So Jesus uh, has just been crucified on Friday. He's laid in the grave. Uh, And then on Sunday morning, he he rises from the dead. Spoiler alert. That's what happens. Uh, But at this point in the story, he hasn't shown himself to his disciples yet. So they have heard these stories from some of the women in their company, the disciples had, that Jesus had risen from the dead. They, They told all of these other disciples We saw these two angels. They told us Jesus is risen from the dead. And they have no idea what to make of it. But it seems like these two disciples that Jesus comes up and talks to, in particular, didn't believe it. They didn't believe it. They're making a journey from Jerusalem back to a village called Emmaus, which would have been about seven miles northwest of Jerusalem. So they're walking along, and the story uh, tells us that Jesus, the risen Jesus, catches up to them. And it says in verse 16 that their eyes were kept from recognizing him. Somehow, I don't know how it happened. I like to imagine Jesus was wearing a tasteful scarf that kind of kept things out of view. Who knows? Uh, But they didn't recognize Jesus. And they're talking, and Jesus asks them, "What, what are you talking about? And then the response, it says in verse 17, they stood still looking sad. They were sad. And then they respond sarcastically to Jesus, are you the only one who doesn't know what's been going on in Jerusalem these days? Are you the only one? And then they go on to explain what has happened. They tell Jesus, ironically, uh, Jesus of Nazareth, he was a prophet, mighty indeed. He was well loved by the people. It seemed like he was well loved by God. But something happened that made us kind of question that. He was delivered over to be killed by our religious establishment. Like, we did this. Our people did this. And we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. 
a little context might be helpful to kind of understand what they're saying. Uh, for these disciples, we don't know who they are. They're not a part of kind of like the 11 disciples at this time that were the really important ones. These are just kind of broader disciples. One of them's named Cleopas. It could have been his wife. It could have been his son or daughter. We don't really know. They're, they're kind of unimportant disciples in a lot of ways. Uh, but these disciples would have been uh, Jewish people that were steeped in the Old Testament. And because they read the Old Testament so much, they would have been filled with expectation. They would have been filled with expectation because the Old Testament tells a story that's kind of searching for an ending. They don't really know what's going to happen. And over time, the expectation of the Jewish people began to be fixed on this messianic figure. That's the word in Hebrew, Messiah, or in Greek, it's Christ. It means the same thing. There was this hope that they had that there was going to be this figure who is a king the son of David, who was going to come and destroy all of their enemies and then lead Israel in to glory. But you see here in this passage that these disciples are sad. This expectation that they had of a Messiah and their reading of the Old Testament and their experience of Jesus did not match up. That's where these downcast disciples of Jesus find themselves. Their experience of Jesus did not match up with the Old Testament. Their experience of Jesus did not match up with their understanding of the Old Testament, and they were sad. Now, I recognize that uh, this happened like millennia ago and thousands and thousands of miles away, but I wonder if that's an experience that you can relate to with the Bible. How many of us look at Jesus or grew up hearing about Jesus and then we open the Old Testament and we find something that's just horrifying to us. How many of us hear these wonderful things about Jesus? Or maybe we even read something like the Sermon on the Mount and there's this beautiful teaching that has shaped the Western world like far more than we realize. And yet we look in the Old Testament and we see stuff that oftentimes just makes us sad. It makes us maybe confused or, or even outright angry. It seems like there's some sort of disconnect between the two sometimes, doesn't it? Uh, this disconnect is felt by a variety of people. Uh, there's a Christian pastor. I've heard him referred to as America's pastor, super common. Andy Stanley, anyone ever heard of him? Okay, that's fine. One guy, sweet. Um, yeah, so Andy Stanley wrote this book uh, called Irresistible that's talking about, you know, how can we kind of win the next generation for Jesus? And what he says in this book uh, he says, when it comes to stumbling blocks to the faith, the Old Testament is right up there at the top of the list. When people struggle to believe, the Old Testament is usually the culprit. And so his solution is that we should completely abandon the Old Testament. We should stop talking about it. That's his solution. So this is how a Christian pastor deals with this. But then other folks also think about this kind of disconnect that they see in the Old Testament. Uh, Richard Dawkins, who is a kind of famous uh, atheist author, he wrote a book called The God Delusion, which is really popular. He says, the God of the Old Testament is arguably the most unpleasant character in all fiction. Jealous and proud of it. A petty, unjust, unforgiving control freak. A vindictive, bloodthirsty ethnic cleanser. A misogynistic, homophobic, racist, infanticidal, genocidal, filicidal, pestilential, megalomaniacal, sadomasochistic, capriciously malevolent bully. Now, you might not agree with that, but that man can turn a phrase, <laughs> right? 
So there's this tension that it seems like whether we're Christian or we're not, we, we feel this tension between the Old and the New Testaments, between Jesus and what we read in the Old Testament. So I want to encourage you, just as we start here, to take a moment to take stock. Take a moment and be honest with yourself. Where are you with this? Where are you with the Old Testament? I think some of us, uh, if we would consider ourselves Christians, uh, we read things in the Old Testament. A lot of times it doesn't make sense. uh, But we don't want to reject parts of the Bible just because it makes us uncomfortable. We want to be honest about the fact that it makes us uncomfortable, but we don't want to reject it outright. Others of us uh, might even consider ourselves Christians, but we're kind of scared to be honest about this. We're kind of scared to be honest about the fact that when we read a lot of parts of the Bible, this seems awful, and I don't know what to do with this. We're worried that if we kind of pull that strand, then maybe the whole thing will unravel. Others of us uh, are not certain if we believe or not, but we're curious if maybe is this the correct way to understand the Old Testament? Like, am I reading this at face value? Am I making sense of this? And some of us are just shut down entirely, and we don't really want anything to do with it. So I just want to ask, wherever you are, I just want to ask humbly if you would just take a moment to listen to what Jesus himself said about the Old Testament. Take a moment and learn from Jesus. Give Jesus the courtesy of allowing him to speak for himself. Which brings us to kind of our second point here, where Jesus is with the Old Testament. So after Jesus has listened to these two disciples and heard kind of where they're at, they've recounted everything that's going on, uh, he gets the sense of where they are, and then Jesus comes in hot, comes in really hot. Uh, He starts in on them in verse 25, he says, oh, foolish ones. Can you imagine being in a Bible study where like the Bible study leader is like, oh, foolish ones, like right at you after you said something? I would never come to a Bible study again, like it'd be over. What Jesus is saying there, it's almost as if he's saying, like, don't you use your head? Like, are you unable to think? Uh, He tells them that they are slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Uh, And I think the word all that Jesus said is really important there. Because where they got their kind of expectation that the Messiah would just lead them into glory was from the prophets, was from the Old Testament itself. And Jesus isn't saying that those prophets were wrong. What he's saying is you need to consider all of it. Jesus is telling them that they have misunderstood the scriptures that they so dearly love. And if this was obviously there, like Jesus says it was, like if Jesus is telling them they missed it, how did they miss it? Like how did they miss something like this? Uh, I don't know if you've had the experience of watching a show that was like made during covid Um, there's some of them that are starting to come out now. One popular one that uh, I'm a little embarrassed to say I watch, uh, Diners, Drive-Ins, and Dives, with uh, Guy Fieri, who is like the personification of the restaurant Chili's. Um, It's like everything you need to know about that man. He's super entertaining. Um, But he's come out with several seasons during COVID. And so anytime I see an episode, I'm like kind of make it my mission to figure out, was this filmed during COVID? So as it's going on and these beautiful, delicious dishes are being made and Guy Fieri is saying that everything's dynamite and giving people like the fist bump, which is what he does, uh, I am like peering into the background to try and see if there are people like with masks on getting takeout or like to see if the tables are like distanced or something like that. You see, what I'm trying to point out here is that our cultural moment 
It shapes what we look for. It shapes what we look for in things. And so these two disciples, and many actually Jewish people at the time, their cultural moment led them to pick up on certain strands in the Old Testament and to completely ignore other ones. Which, by the way, is actually true of us as well. (laughs) Which is why we need Christian people who have vastly different experiences from us. It's why we need to uh, realize the fact that we're connected with Christians from all over the world throughout all time. We need other people to kind of round off our edges. So Jesus has pointed out that they have missed the boat, that their cultural moment has caused them to miss some things. But thankfully, he doesn't just kind of indict them. He redirects them. He says in verse 26, Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? So when he says Christ, he's talking about this Old Testament messianic figure that they were thinking about as well. And their understanding was that the Christ would rescue his people in glory. That it would be like triumphant. He would come in the city and crack some skulls. That was their understanding of what was going to happen. But Jesus corrects their understanding from the scriptures. He says the Christ is going to rescue the people, but it's going to be through suffering. It's going to be through rejection. He flips their expectations upside down. And then he goes on and says, Beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. So he doesn't just correct their understanding of certain prophetical books. He, he talks through the entire Old Testament and tells them all of the things that were concerning him. And so this walk that they're going on must have been about four hours. So Jesus is just kind of preaching a sermon for four hours. They don't know who this guy is. Like, imagine how convincing that sermon has to be for you to not, like, keep walking faster and be like, get away, weirdo. (laughs) Right? Like, Jesus is telling them everything about the Old Testament. He's, in short, Jesus is essentially reading the Old Testament as a story that leads to him. He's reading the Old Testament as a story that leads to him. I love the way that uh, Chris Wright, he's an Old Testament scholar, wrote a book called Knowing Jesus Through the Old Testament, which is excellent. Uh, But he sums up kind of what Jesus is saying here. He says, in the Old Testament, Jesus found a rich tapestry of figures, historical persons, sequences of historical events, prophetic pictures and symbols. And in this tapestry, where others saw only a fragmented collection of various figures and hopes, Jesus saw his own face. His scriptures provided the shape of his own identity. So when Jesus read the Old Testament, or what he just referred to as the Bible, because he didn't have a New Testament, it was like looking in a mirror. That's how Jesus understood himself. So what does it mean for us that Jesus read the Bible this way? Like, what practical import does that have for us? I think uh, it means a couple things. First off, I think it means that we're going to miss out on Jesus if we don't understand the Old Testament. We're not actually going to understand who Jesus is if we don't understand the Old Testament. Uh, This is a a subtle point here, uh, but Jesus is trying to, essentially, he's trying to convince these two disciples that he actually rose from the dead. And what does he do? He disguises himself and reads the Bible with them. Like he very easily could have just said, hey, dummies, it's me. Like, I'm here. It's Jesus, the one that you know. You know what I look like. 
But instead, what Jesus does is he takes them to the Bible. That's shocking. So that means that the Old Testament, it's essential for understanding who Jesus is. And on some level, it's basic cultural intelligence, right? Like, we need to understand Jesus on his own terms. We need to understand Jesus the way that he would define himself. Uh, Scholars actually point out that in the Gospels, at least one-tenth of all of Jesus' quotes are direct Old Testament quotations. And even more, if you add in allusions to Old Testament ideas, it would probably be close to 50%. Like when Jesus thought about himself, he thought about the Old Testament. That's like if you've ever had a conversation with me, sorry if you have, uh, the office will inevitably come up. Why? Because I love the office. It is like seeped into my personality. That's how Jesus was with the Old Testament. So we're going to miss out on Jesus if we don't understand the Old Testament. But to take it even further... I would say, truly, we can't follow Jesus without loving the Old Testament more and more. We can't follow Jesus without loving the Old Testament more and more. Um, So to kind of get at this point, uh, Molly and I uh, have been married for about six years. um, And she, uh, one thing that kind of became apparent to me early on was that Molly loves to show Gilmore Girls. It's a great show. Uh, the female contingent is loving what I just said there. Um, it's a great show. I didn't think so when we got started because uh, I would just be walking by doing stuff and Molly would be watching this show and my impression of it was like it's way too fast-paced and they just talk too much and I'm like this is not a show for introverts. I don't want to watch this. Like it's just way overdone. But then eventually it kind of became apparent that if I wanted to really love my wife then I was going to have to watch Gilmore Girls with her. And so, actually, last fall, we watched Gilmore Girls. And crazy thing, I love it now. Like, I love it now. And it gave me access to Molly in a unique way. Like, it it enabled us to kind of understand each other better because this show had been so integral to her. And that's how Jesus was with the Old Testament. If you really want to move forward in your relationship with Jesus, like, you can't just bypass the Old Testament. You can't do away with it. You've got to go into it. When Jesus looked at the Old Testament, he saw his own face. So Jesus here has just kind of like taken the wheel, as it were. Uh, He's shown these disciples how to read the Bible. And he says, essentially, every single story whispers my name. He says, I am the, the whole point of the story. So how might that change how we read the Bible? What would that do in us if we read the Bible like Jesus? Uh, Fortunately, the text kind of gives us an idea. Uh, It tells us where we can end up with the Old Testament. This is our third point. So after Jesus has pointed out kind of their bad reading, shows them a better way, what happens? Where do they end up? Uh, Jesus finishes kind of this Old Testament survey, and the disciples ask him to stay with them because it's the end of the day. And so Jesus uh, agrees to stay with them. They sit down to eat. And then Jesus takes the bread, blessed it, broke it, and gave it to them. And then somehow, miraculously, all of a sudden, they realized, whoa, that was Jesus we were just talking to the whole time. And then he vanishes. So the risen Jesus uh, has a couple tricks up his sleeve, obviously. Um, But how do these people respond to this? Of course, if something like that happened to you, that's going to do something to you. How do they respond to this? Where do they end up with the Old Testament? 
Uh, the first thing we see is that they comment on what it felt like to read the Old Testament this way. They look at each other and say, didn't our hearts burn within us while he was opening the scriptures to us? Uh, they're not saying that they had heartburn while he was doing this. What they're saying is it's something like, didn't our hearts like, feel lighter? Didn't they light up? Wasn't that kind of exciting? Wasn't that amazing? Uh, it's kind of like if you've seen uh, The Sixth Sense, I'm going to spoil it. It's really old. You should have seen it by now. Um, spoiler alert, main character is dead the whole time. You don't find out until the end. And then after you see that, what do you say? I got to watch that again. Like, I have got to watch that again, knowing that he's dead the whole time. And it brings out all sorts of different nuances and potentially some plot holes. I don't know if that's what you think. Um, but that's the way, that's what Jesus did with the Old Testament there. That's what it means to, to read it with your heart on fire. You can have this sense of, I got to watch that again. I've got to read that again. Jesus is here? But not only are their hearts on fire, we see also that their experience with Jesus in the Old Testament, it, didn't, it wasn't just intellectual, it actually changed the way that they lived. It changed their lives as well. It says in verses 33 and 34, it says they rose at that same hour and returned to Jerusalem. So they got up, remember it was the end of the day, it was dark, really dark. They didn't have any uh, lights or anything like that. Traveling at night in the country, in the Middle East, was very, very dangerous. So these disciples, they decided, well, we've got to go. We've got to tell somebody. So they get up and they move. And then they go and they find uh, what's left of the, the 12 disciples, 11, and they say to them, the Lord has risen indeed. So from reading the Old Testament with Jesus, from having this kind of Christ-centered focus, what happened to them, what, it was a changed life. You see, according to Jesus, a proper understanding of the Old Testament, it's not only going to transform your mind, it's not only going to make you feel good, it's actually going to make you more eager to tell people about the risen Jesus. That's what these disciples did. From just the Old Testament scriptures, they were eager to tell more people that Jesus had risen from the dead. And that can happen for us. So as we're kind of drawing to a close, um, I just want to ask you to consider kind of hanging with us this semester as we're going to be considering passages throughout the Old Testament. Uh, some of these passages are going to be ones that are well known. If you were raised in the church or even if you weren't, you've probably heard of them before. Others of them won't be as well known. Um, but as we look at them, we're going to be looking and seeing if we can kind of discern the whisper of Jesus' name. Uh, and as I said, uh, the title of this series comes from the Jesus Storybook Bible. So I want to close with this quote from the Jesus Storybook Bible. I think we have it up here. Um, yes? Maggie? The quote? Got it? Um, yes, okay. So I'm going to read this. Uh, I think it's really, really great. It says, no, the Bible isn't a book of rules or a book of heroes. The Bible is most of all a story. It's an adventure story about a young hero who comes from a far country to win back his lost treasure. It's a love story about a brave prince who leaves his palace, his throne, everything to rescue the one he loves. It's like the most wonderful of fairy tales that has come true in real life. You see, the best thing about this story is it's true. There are lots of stories in the Bible, but all the stories are telling one big story, the story of how God loves his children and comes to rescue them. It takes the whole Bible to tell this story, and at the center of the story, there is a baby. 
Every story in the Bible whispers his name. He is like the missing piece in a puzzle, the piece that makes all the other pieces fit together. And suddenly, you can see a beautiful picture. Y'all, this is what the whole Bible is all about. The whole Bible is about the story of a good creation that was ruined by sin, that was redeemed by God himself in Jesus, moving towards a new creation. And at the center is the man Jesus, who is God become man, who lived a seemingly insignificant life. He taught beautiful and difficult things. He healed the sick. He gathered a following. And he was betrayed by one of his closest friends. And then he was delivered over to be killed by the religious authorities in his day. He was put to death as a criminal. And then he rose from the dead three days later, crushing sin, death, and hell under his feet in order to create for himself a people, people, the church. And when we put our faith in him, we're invited into this story, invited into this story to be the people who tell others about Jesus, who participate in this new creation that is being built. And that's what the story of the Bible is all about. That's what we're going to be talking about this semester. So let's close with prayer.